We're up to chapter 3, Mishnah 8. Rabbi Alazar Ish Bartusa, Omer. Rabbi Alazar, the man of Bartusa, says, that's where he lived, he lived in the city of Bartusa. Tain lo mishalo, give him from his own, she'ata v'shelcha shalo, because you and all that is yours are his. V'chein David, and also David, who Omer, it says, for from you is everything, and from your hand have we given to you. So we have a short kind of cryptic statement here from Rabbi Alazar, the man of Bartusa. And we're going to explain what it means, but we're going to begin with sharing an amazing story that the Talmud tells about this character. And once we see that story, his teaching will come into light. He is not one of the most oft-quoted sages in the Talmud. In fact, to my knowledge, there's only one episode that we get besides for this teaching in the Mishnah. But this episode is so dramatic and uh, so inspirational and such a unique story and it dovetails so nicely with his lesson that it's very important to begin our study with this story. This is from the book of Ta'anit, page 24a. The book of Ta'anit, the word Ta'anit means fast day. And it's a book detailing the laws of fast days and particularly the fast days that are instituted due to events that are happening. So, for example, it used to be when there was a famine or there was a drought or it wasn't raining and people were concerned, they would convene and sometimes the rabbis would institute a fast day to try to pray and entreat the Almighty to give us rain. Um, but anyhow, it has a list of stories about great sages and their superlative characteristics of charity and kindness. And on page 24a, we read as follows. Elazar Ish Bartusa, the author of our Mishnah, the Elazar, the man of Bartusa, when the charity collectors would see him, they would hide why would they hide? Because whenever he would see them, he would give them all his money. And they were worried, even though they were they themselves were charity collectors, and they're, in fact, in every Jewish community, there's always a charity fund, a gemach of some sorts, but they used to have a specific job, someone whose job was they were responsible for determining who was in need and raising the funds to help pay for those needs. So they would see him, and instead of trying to go solicit him for a donation, they would run away because they know that he would just give everything that he had towards the cause. One time, Rabbi Elazar was going to the market to buy a bridal outfit for his daughter. It's called an adunya in the Talmudic parlance. It is essentially the wedding needs of his daughter. And in the market, guess who was there as well? The charity collectors. And they see him, and of course, what do they do? They start running away. And he starts chasing them down. And he finally catches up to them, and he says, I, I swear that you have to tell me what you're collecting money for. Don't hide it from me. So with no choice, they tell him that there is a young orphan, one male, one female, two orphans that, they're, that they need to get married. But they're both, both of them have no parents. And therefore, the community has to pay for the expenses of getting their life started. And that's what we're, we're raising money for. Right away, he says, I'm covering everything. How much do you need? And he gives them everything that they need, 
for, for their uh, mitzvah that they want to do. Uh, despite their protest, he doesn't leave with any choice. He gives them everything. And all he has left is one coin. That's all he has left. So what did you do? He doesn't have enough money to buy what he had set out to go purchase the dowry for his daughter. He went and he bought a bundle of wheat. And he takes the bundle of wheat and brings it home and puts it into the granary and goes to go study. What, what else is he supposed to do? Meanwhile, his wife go tells his daughter, oh, let's go look what your daddy bought for you for your wedding. And the daughter said, well, whatever he did, he put it in the granary. So they go to try to open the door. And the door is stuck. And even the keyhole is inaccessible because a miracle happened. And that one bundle of wheat had proliferated magically and it totally filled up the entire warehouse and you couldn't even stick in the key. It was like there was wheat protruding from the keyhole and you couldn't even stick the key. It was so completely full. So they ran to get the father who was, who was studying. They ran to, they ran to go get Rabbi Elazar and they tell him, you have to see what the Almighty did for you. He loves you so much. He did this incredible miracle. And right away he responds with sobriety. He says, well, if this was a miracle, then it's not ours. It's God's. So we can only take the portion that is given to us, so to speak, because we too are poor. But we're going to distribute it equally, the benefits of this tremendous miracle, we're going to distribute equally, and it's not just ours. We don't have a proprietary interest in it. We're just like every other poor person. And the commentaries explain that you don't want to benefit from miracles. If God does a miracle and then you benefit from it, it's going to detract from your spiritual merits. And therefore, he didn't want to benefit from it. So even though he had this amazing miracle, he refused to take more than the share that would be allotted to him together with the rest of the poor people. So that's the story about him. Now, the the commentaries obviously discuss the intricacies of this story. Uh, one of them, for example, is in, interested with this uh, vignette that the wheat is protruding from the keyhole. Just such a strange thing that Talmud tells us, that the wheat filled up entirely, and even that little space in the keyhole was was filled, that they had a hard time getting in. And he explains, he says, well, what did he do? What was his merit that precipitated this miracle? Well, he took the young orphan and the young orphan and made sure that he's going to cover the entirety of their running expenses and therefore the entirety, everything, even that little keel, even that small little bit of empty space was filled to kind of give him the, the, the just compensation for his mitzvah. But this is the backstory of the author of, of our Mishnah and of this amazing teaching. And of course, once we see his character, we see how it's a very fitting message that he's going to share. And he's going to share a revolutionary explanation and rationale for charity. He's going to tell us that when you give charity, you're giving something, so to speak, to the coffers of God, you're not giving from your money, from your assets. You're giving God from his assets because ultimately you and everything you have belong to him.
We don't really own anything, says Rabbi Elazar, because everything that belongs to us, that we think belongs to us, really, it belongs to the Almighty. And yes, we are the stewards over it, and we maybe can make the choice of allocation, and we have the right to take some of it for ourselves, for our own needs, but ultimately, it's not ours. It belongs to the Almighty, and therefore, I'm just giving the Almighty what he already owns. That's his rationale for charity. And the commentaries add that this does not apply only to finances. It applies to everything. Every skill that you have, if someone has a great voice, for example, who gave them that? Of course, the Almighty. So they should use it to make other people happy by singing to them. Or whatever skill that you may have, you should find a way. Who really owns that? You didn't earn it because maybe you polished it, maybe you honed it, but ultimately everything you have is from the Almighty. We, you wouldn't exist at all if not for God, and you wouldn't have any of the skills that you have. And therefore, the skills that you do have, well, really, who does it belong to? If you kind of zero everything else out, it belongs to God. And therefore, when you're giving God, when you're using your talents and your abilities for an end that, so to speak, is in the God agenda, you're just giving God what he already owns. And uh, Rabbeinu Yonah adds that... It, this is a joyous idea that what I have was given to me, was doled out to me by the Almighty. It's almost, he gives an example. You have a king and the king has a budget. And the king says to one of his uh, ministers, he says, I-, I want you to decide what to do with, with this money, with these assets. I- I'm giving you, I'm entrusting you with this with this important task to decide what happens to it. So yes, he could pull a stipend, and yes, he could use it some some of it for, for his own personal needs. But think about that. The Almighty kind of gave us with whatever he gave us in whatever skill. He's talking about finances, but it's not specifically that. It's anything, anything that we have, the Almighty gave it to us because he believes that we are the ones who can make the right choices about how to properly dispense those amazing talents that he gave us. And I want to share some stories uh, about people in modern times that share this attitude. Um, one of my great uncle, his name was Rabbi Chaim Kreisworth. He was someone that literally knew all of Talmud and his commentaries by heart. Uh, that's not hyperbole. He literally did it. You, take, you go to the, to the shelf and you look at the Talmud, uh, today published in 73 volumes, open up to any page and read any line, and he will tell you which book, which page, and which line. It's just astonishing. When he would give a lecture, he would, he was a great orator. He was the chief rabbi of Antwerp for 50 years. And he, when he would, when he would give a lecture, he would speak. He was an orator. He would speak over time. He would, he was, he was a, a very vibrant speaker and he wouldn't stop. In fact, he once spoke at a, spoke at a convention. And they, they tell me, you know, you have 20 minutes. That's it. That's it. And he's speaking and he's lecturing and he's giving a, a, a uproarious uh, speech. And, you know, the MC is, is getting a little wary. It's, it's 30 minutes in and he doesn't seem to be anywhere near the end. You know, he's not wrapping up at all. So he writes a note. He writes a note to him. Five more minutes. And he puts the note on his lectern. Five more minutes. That's all you have. Five more minutes. But he ignores it. 
And he keeps on lecturing. He keeps on speaking. And then he knew exactly what was happening, of course. And then like 10 or 15 minutes later, he's 45 minutes in. He pulls up the note. And he's like, oh, I have five more minutes. Okay, five more minutes. <laughs> and now, but when he would speak and he would, he would quote pages of Talmud verbatim. And he would, he would add flourish to his speech by, with his hands moving like the invisible pages as if the Talmud is open before him because here's where the page turns. And he was about to not only read it verbatim, but to tell you exactly, okay, here we're turning the page and there's obviously no book in front of him because he's just reading it from his own mind. It's just an incredible titanic Torah scholar. But he was also someone who excelled in a tremendous way in kindness and in charity and in visiting the sick and in helping the poor and in marrying off the orphans in a tremendous superlative way. And the community decided that we cannot give him his paycheck. Because if we give him his paycheck, by the time he's home, the paycheck has already been given out. They would give it to his wife. They would do direct deposit. They had to try to find all these creative ways to not give him the money because if you give him the money, the money goes elsewhere. And no matter what, all of it will go out. Not till take 10% and say, okay, I'll do it tithing. No, none of that. Everything will be out because he had just such a heart and such a care and caring more about other people than he cared about himself. If you, if you give him the check, it will not end up with him. It will end up by someone else who he, in his mind, is of need. There's a story with the Gorna Vilna. The great uh, giant, Rabbi Elijah Vilna, uh, who was the greatest Jew of the 18th century, 1720 to 1797, he was someone who did not have an official position. He wasn't a rabbi of a city or anything like that, uh, even though he was universally accepted as the greatest Torah scholar of not only his century and his time, but centuries beforehand. And the community decided, even though he is not officially hired as a rabbi of a shul or of, or the city, we're going to give him a stipend because it's such an honor for us to have this great sage in our midst. And Vilna at that time, a city in Lithuania, was the center of, of, of Torah Judaism. But they hired the, the gabai, one of the attendants in, of, of the community to, you're in charge of going to deliver the going to Vilna his stipend. And the guy would just pocket the money. And that went on for years. And the Gona Vilna never mentioned it. They only found out like after he died, they found out that the guy was, 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 was just pocketing the money himself. And that was something that in his mind, it's not, it's not mine. I don't have ownership of it. If this guy takes it, then so be it. And famously, the Balshemtov, the other great Jew, uh, of the 18th century, he was someone that had such, such such a degree of faith in God that God will provide for tomorrow that he would never go to sleep at night with any liquid assets. If he had any money, he would right away distribute it to always go to sleep with nothing and then what's going to need to be tomorrow? Well, the Almighty will take care of it. That was his policy. And these are similar attitudes to what we see over here in this Mishnah, Rabbi Elezer, the man of Bartusa, tells us when you're giving charity, you're not giving your money, you're giving God's money. And you're giving God's money to what you think God's cause would be because God gave you the money to distribute to what you think his cause is. And I think to kind of deep, deepen our immersion into this subject, we could ask maybe a broader question. You know, what do we own 
and what does God own? And it's interesting, some of the commentaries invoke the Talmud, the Talmud in the book of Brachos, page 35a, quotes opposing verses. And this is, you'll find this very often in the Talmud. The Talmud will say, well, we see this, and this has got to be true, and we see that, and that's got to be true, yet they don't seem to be compatible. So how do we reconcile these two truisms that seem to be in direct conflict? So the Talmud does that over here, uh, and it quotes two verses. And of course, the verses, it's not, uh, these aren't opinions, these are codified Torah, it, they got to both be true, yet they're saying exact opposite things. One verse says, Lahashem Haaretz Umaloa. To God belongs the land and everything that fills it. So who owns everything? It's God's. And then there's another verse, Hashamayim, Shamayim Lashem. The heavens belong to God. Vehaaretz, but the land, Nasan Labne Adam, he gave to mankind. Who owns the land? One verse says, Lashem Aretz Umaloa belongs to God. The next verse says, no, no, the heavens are for God, the earth, the land. Well, that's for us. How could you possibly reconcile these two verses? One says the land belongs to God. The other says the land belongs to us. It says the Talmud. This is the book of Brachos. Bracha means blessings. It says, yes, it depends. Before the blessing, before someone makes a blessing, Lashem belongs to God. After someone makes the blessing, the land he gave to mankind. Yes, the land initially belongs to God, but we can acquire it via a blessing. When someone has an apple, who owns the apple? It's God's apple. God made it. Well, okay, how do I, how do I, how do I, how do I partake in it? How do I, I don't want to take God's stuff. You make the blessing, and that's the method of acquiring it from God, and now it's yours. So that seems to say that, yes, the land and everything that fills it belongs to God, but we can acquire it, and then it becomes ours. But then, some of the commentaries quibble with this, and they say, wait a minute, we're told, in many sources, that we're servants of God. In fact, in some, depends how you read the words, we may even be slaves to God. So what happens? There's a, if I'm a slave to God, well, who owns what I own? Doesn't that go back to God as well? If I'm like a fiduciary of God because I'm his slave and therefore whatever I do, it's really like the extension of God and therefore I own something, even if I own it, ultimately the ownership has to always go back to the original owner. It's like if you have an LLC, right? The LLC really is nothing. It's just a holding company that really the ownership goes up a level high, a level higher. If God owns us and we own something else, then ultimately that belongs to God as well. So even if I make the blessing and I own it, so what? I own it. It belongs to God. And some explain that this is the logic behind Rabbi Elazar, uh, the man of Bartusa's teaching. He says, everything is God, before blessing and after blessing. The only difference is before blessing, you can't even partake in it. You don't have even the rights to partake a stipend, so to speak, from it. Whereas after the blessing, then you do have the rights to partake a sliver, whatever it is that you need. But ultimately, the ownership is still in the hands of God. And like we said, this extends beyond money, it's strength, uh, it is wisdom, it is memory, 
It is a pleasant voice. Anything that you have, according to this idea, you should dedicate it to God, which is a very striking thing because we're told in many places that as Jews, we're supposed to give 10% of our money to charity. It's verses in the Torah. It's halachos in the Talmud. It's codified in halacha. This is, and this is the practice that people do. 10% of your finances, you give to charity. And the Talmud says, well, what if someone wants to give more? They're very benevolent. They're very generous. They want to give more. So the Talmud tells us, the book of Kesubas, page 58, if someone wants to be generous, they should not give more than a fifth. They should not give more than 20%. So how is it possible? Here we're told in the Mishnah, Rabbi Eliezer Manabartusa says, you take whatever you need, but really it's all God's. So maybe you should, you should give 90% away to charity and 10% for yourself, whatever it is that you need. Depends how much assets you have, but really God has. And, and then the Talmud says, and this is the halacha, that you should give 10%. If you want to be generous, you give 20%, but, don't, but no more. How could those possibly be resolved? And as an aside, what is the source for the Talmud adds? What is the source to give 20%? It quotes in the book of Genesis, page, uh, chap, uh, chapter 28, verse 22. This is Jacob. He was the first one to tithe. Then he says, Everything that you give to me, I will give a tenth. I will give a tenth. What's a tenth plus a tenth? That's, of course, 20%. And therefore, 20%. Not 21, and certainly not 91. Rashi, in his comment to the uh, Talmud, tell, explains why should you not give more than 20%, because if you give more 20%, then it's possible that you may yourself become needy and become a burden on the public, and that's not, that's, that, and that's not what you should do. So how do we reconcile these two teachings? Again, the Mishnah here tells us, give to God, from God, it's all God's, and therefore you take a slice for yourself. Maybe take 10% for yourself, depends how much how much you have, but really everything belongs to God. And then we say, no, 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 everything belongs to you, and you choose to give 10%, and if you want to be generous, you give 20%. What is the reconciliation of that? So the Baal Shem Tov, the aforementioned uh, great sage who would himself dispense all his money, someone asked him, how do you do that? After all, the Talmud book of Shubas, page 50B, tells us, 50A, sorry, 50A, tells us that if you're going to be giving out generously, don't give more than 20%. How do you give sometimes even 100%? So he said that the words of the Talmud have to be studied with great scrutiny. The words, hamebazbez al yebazbez yoter michomesh. The word that it uses is from the word yibazbez, which means booty or plunder. Meaning that when someone gives money and they feel like the other person is plundering them, they feel like, it's my money, I worked so hard for it. And this guy's coming, or this need shows up, or this charity opportunity arises, and they're plundering from my assets. If someone has that attitude, don't give more than 20%. But if someone has the attitude that we see in this Mishnah, that I'm not giving for my own money, no one's plundering me, it's my joy to be able to be the one who's 
entrusted by God to allocate the finances, his money, I'm like his emissary. I'm the steward of the money, but I'm not the owner of the money. Well, then the answer is unlimited. If you think you're giving your money and it's just a terrible, terrible thing that I have to give charity because I worked so hard and why do I need to do that? Then you're capped at 20. If it's God's money, then you could give whatever you want because after all, it's God's money and God is literally a trillionaire and he's got all the money in the world and he's got all the assets in the world and therefore you could give it all out to maybe take a small bit for yourself because that's part of the deal. But if that's your attitude, then you're allowed to give as much as you want. And I want to share just to conclude, you know, as someone who needs to fundraise for uh, for my job, and this is not an appeal, <laughs> I've encountered people of both varieties. I recently spoke to someone about a project that we're doing in Torch and he told me that this past year in 2018, he gave more than 50% of his income to charity. And he told me, like, my accountant does not let me report all that I give because it looks like it's fraudulent. So he, like, he gave me, like, $2,800 in cash, just like in a wad. No receipt. I don't need a receipt. Whatever. I like, and, and, and I believe it. And, and he, t- like, this is the attitude that he, that he is exhibiting. He's like, I, it was a good year and I give, I, when, when it's a good year, I give a lot of money. And he told me more than 50%. Unbelievable, astonishing. What a people that we're part of. <laughs> and then you have, of course, the other people that they hem and, oh no, it's that time of year again. Uh, I can't say no, but I kind of resent it. Uh, or I, I say, I, I'll be honest with you. Like I've lost some friends. That like are so offended when people ask them for money. Like I, I think it's a very not un-Jewish attitude. I understand it, but you know, there's people. I want to say lost friends. People that like their relationship with me is like, whoa, whoa, yeah, whoa, asking for money. What they're saying is that I'm like a pirate coming to plunder them, <laughs> and they're like, I, I, that's not pleasant, right? You don't befriend your pirate, your 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 pirate friend who comes to <laughs> steal all your, all your money. And yes, I have to give because I'm obligated because of Jewish law and because I, I'll, I have a guilty conscience otherwise. And how could I say no? But I'm, I'm resentful. And that, and that's a different attitude. So, uh, so, and I think this is a valuable lesson. And I, 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 I think that maybe there's a, there's a medium line. Uh, even if someone doesn't give all their money to charity, even if someone is not as over the top as Rabbi Lazar, uh, the man of Bartusa is, I don't think that's very common. Uh, but even people who do give, whatever you give, you should feel like it's a uh, it's a um, a privilege that you have. It's a an opportunity that you have, something that you're joyous to do, and do it with happiness, not as if you're capitulating to the pirate.